it seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests, strange superstitions, and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Scuffy. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Hello, and welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle. I'm Jess Guffey, and as always, I am joined by the lovely Kate Rooney. Hello, Kate. Hello, Joss. What's going on in the design pickle world lately? Let's well, see. we haven't recorded in a hot I second. I know we we did our mini episode when we're back with the full length episode, and it is an exciting time because by the time this episode goes live, we will have launched a brand new product from Design Pickle called Scale, and under Scale we have both graphic design and custom illustration services. But it's just a yeah, way to yeah. get get your uh, creative and your graphic design back a lot faster. Yeah, if you're looking to increase your productivity, it's literally the perfect product. So thank you for coming to our infomercial. (laughs) If you're doing a podcast, then you definitely need it. But also just want to say our promo code still works for that. So go check it out and get $100 off your first month. You can use that for scale. You can use that for our pro plans, but just use promo code WORST, all caps, W-O-R-S-T, at checkout for $100 off your first month. Woo! I did not intend to do an ad at the beginning of this episode, but just want to say that because it's been we've been working really hard for this. And uh, what was the episode where we were talking about bathing suits? Or Alec asked about a bathing suit? I don't know. It was a couple episodes ago. Uh, well, <laughs> if you did listen to that and you're wondering, that is related to our scale launch because we will have some hilarious videos and graphics coming out of our wonderful pickle suit guy. AKA Colton it's, uh, in a bathing suit. A little, yeah, I don't think everyone's ready for it, but you know what? It's going to be out there. It's going to be <laughs> in the world, and I hope everyone at least gets a good chuckle out of it, because that's we, the point. We sure did. I would also like to issue a correction, because uh, we are, oh. uh, we're in that world now where Kate oh. and I are just having to issue corrections. Second correction, all right. Um, I kept calling former Dallas Cowboys coach Tom Landy, and it's Tom Landry. And I'm I can't just believe leave you didn't know that. that. That's so embarrassing Shut up, Kate. for you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's Tom Landry, as those of you listening probably already knew. But in case you didn't, so sorry. And uh, we'll do better next time. <laughs> I'll put the R in there next time. <laughs> well said. Well said. Okay. Well. Let's dive in because we've got a lot to cover today. Um, but I'm excited. Before, me too. Before we kick it off, Jess, I have a poem for you. I'd like to read. Oh my goodness. I would just like to point out that you said from the very beginning that this is a quintessential Kate episode. Mm-hmm. And I think I have an idea of like genre, but I could be very wrong. So I have no idea. Like I, I actually was up last night thinking about who it could be oh, when I couldn't sleep. That's not so. good. No, I have a but feeling really that you're stoked. gonna be like, "Oh, I knew it." But anyways, I I wrote this for you. Is that how I sound? Oh, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I know it. I'm Jess. 
And then I just screech into the microphone. Yeah. Perfect. We sound great. And with that, roses are red, April is gray, and in a few days, it's gonna be May. Oh my God, you are not. You are? I am, well, I am doing something different this time because I'm not covering one single person. I'm covering a group. And oh my God. Uh-huh. What oh better? Oh my God. What better way to celebrate the scale launch, to celebrate May coming up, than to cover the musical group that was tearing up my heart? back in the late 90s in sync first of all i just love that both of us are in sync girls over backstreet boys girls so this could not be more perfect (laughs) um i'm really really stoked (laughs) i guess i've never really stopped to like look at their story yeah obviously i know their music really well and i know jt and blah blah but i don't really think i've ever uh dug deep into their their history so i'm excited well, I mean, this is like the pinnacle of my career right now. I've just <laughs> achieved all of my career goals, and it's all downhill from here. But really, words cannot express how obsessed I was with NSYNC as a preteen. So when you say, like, oh, I, kn- I kind of knew the stories, I knew all the stories. I had all of their <laughs> sure books and all the magazines and stuff like that. But it was a very different... Uh, I don't know, experience looking at all of this as a grown adult and yeah. so many crazy things that I didn't really comprehend as an 11 year old. Well, uh, Kate, quick question before you dive in. Uh-huh. I don't think you can call yourself an NSYNC fan unless you made up dances to songs. Oh, NSYNC. are you kidding me? Like, yeah. not even a question. Uh, it was my first concert. At oh, Irvine Meadows Amphitheater, the opener was Jordan Knight. <laughs> I had all of the posters, all the Tiger Beat magazines, all of that. And Tiger yes, Beat, yeah. <laughs> and yes, I had the dolls. That's how. Oh uh, in fact, I think they're still at my parents' house in the boxes because I like these are collector's items. I can't take them out of the box. <laughs> So, uh, people might be wondering why on earth is Design Pickle covering in sync? But you know what? This episode is dedicated to all of our female listeners, all of our female business owners out there, female entrepreneurs, marketers, especially if you're uh, another millennial. It doesn't matter like how far into your career you are. There's a chance you were bopping to these tunes. And so true. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a wild story. And as you know, well... We've established we were both in sync girls over BSB, Battery Boys. Mm-hmm. But that was a big thing, which we will touch on. Like that uh, whole, you know, fight battle between the two bands was the real deal. But I have to ask, who was your favorite member of NSYNC? You know, I think I just was so in love with all of them and the idea mm-hmm. of like the boy band and it being so cool that I don't think I ever really had a favorite. Like, I don't think that I was like drooling over one of them. Oh, I I know who this is. JC. He was my boy. (laughs) Runner up was Lance. I loved Lance too. Still do. Lance is still hilarious. I love his TikToks, but yes. Uh, well, so obviously each member of NSYNC is very creative in their own right. They're very talented. They were talented young men. They're very talented men now. 
but we're going to kind of take a look at the whole boy band phenomenon that completely it. revolutionized the music industry. And of course, they're not the first boy band. We had like Menudo, New Kids on the Block before that. But they were the first to do a lot of things, including collaborating with like rap and R&B artists, which is a staple in pop music today. Sure is. Um, they have a, a little like a more well-rounded sound because they had really exceptional voices and harmonies. And most notably, they've been credited for taking control of their careers and really revealing the dark underbelly of the uh, manufactured pop music industry, which kind of set the stage for a lot of other artists today, like Kesha and Taylor Swift. So because it's a group, our episode's going to look a little different, of course, but we're going to cover how the band was formed and how they hit it big. Also, the wild completely bonkers story behind Lou Pearlman. Oh, God. Yo, yeah. The evil genius con man puppet master who started it all, the entire boy band craze and all the legal battles that ensued. And then rounding things out with the light, uh, where are they now? Oh, yes. I'm so here for this. I'm so here for us shaking things up, but this is like the best possible way (laughs) to do it. (laughs) You can see why I was so excited to record this episode. (laughs) All makes sense now. Per usual, all opinions are of our own and based off our own research. And I have to say, research was a little bit tougher for this one because I already had some base knowledge, but I it wasn't until I really started researching that uh, like how short lived the group really was. Yeah, and so true. I had to scour through several Angel Fire sites that look like they just came straight out of like two thousand one. Yes. In fact, there was one that was just like in sync facts, and it was just, you know, bright green background and lots of flowery text. So some <laughs> facts from that site, because I thought it was hilarious. It was, it, it was definitely like something I would have made as a 12-year-old. Are you sure you didn't make that exact website? It, I may have. That was my first <laughs> website launch. When And uh, the spelling on this is all off, which makes it even better. When Joey was eight, a bee flew up his nose and stung him. Ouch! (laughs) When Justin was nine or ten, he jumped out a two-story window onto a very thin mattress. And this one is so shocking. JC once went on stage with his zipper down with like ten exclamation marks. (gasps) Oh, no! Say it isn't so! Crazy. Well, most of my actual research came from watching the 2019 documentary, The Boy Band Con. More on that later. It is insane. But I really just have an all-new appreciation for these talented young men in general. I'm stoked. So it all started in a magical place where the palm trees sway, the humidity will draw your soul from your body, the boy band mecca, Orlando, Florida. Uh, Orlando. <laughs> I know you've been there for softball things. I've, I have not been. I've been there for softball. I've been there for Disney World Disney over and over things. and over again. And right. my parents almost moved there instead of Arizona. Ooh. Thank God. Thank Glad God that didn't we happen. avoided that. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, by 1995, the Backstreet Boys, who were managed by Lou Pearlman, uh, they were already gaining a ton of popularity in the U.S. and Europe. And Lou Pearlman hoped to recreate this magic with another boy band using the same formula and went to seek out some fresh talent. Meanwhile, 
a young, talented singer by the name of Chris Kirkpatrick, our first NSYNC member, he had similar aspirations. He began performing at a very young age. He was doing choir and school musicals growing up in Pennsylvania. And after high school, he moves to Orlando to study singing and dancing at Rollins College, which, fun fact, was Mr. Rogers' alma mater. Oh, I'm gonna throw that in there. Eh, not related to the story, but isn't that nice? We love a good fun fact. <laughs> so to earn money for school, he started singing with a doo-wop group called the Hollywood High Tones at Universal Studios. Very cute. Right? I love so that. Cute. I love Universal Studios. It's so, so Lou saw Chris performing at the park one day and he pulled him aside and said that he wants him to join this group and he would totally finance the band and pay for everything if Chris could get a group together. Sounds like a con already. It's going to get so much worse. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So, of course, the search begins and Chris starts searching. He starts going through a ton of demo tapes and he happened upon the Mickey Mouse Club alum and aspiring singer, Justin Timberlake, who was just 14 at the time. Oh my God, that's crazy. I uh-huh. always forget how young they were. Uh, he was so young. Well, Chris was already in his 20s, which is like, it's kind of weird, but okay. Yeah, that's really f-ing weird. But our boy, Justin Timberlake, he loved singing. He sang country and gospel music as a kid. He was just extremely talented and even appeared on Star Search at age 11. (laughs) So, of course, next up from that is to join the Mouseketeers at the all-new Mickey Mouse Club. As you may or may not know, some of his castmates at the time included future bandmate J.C. Chazay, Britney Spears, his future love interest, Christina Aguilera, Ryan Gosling and Carrie Russell. They were all on the Mickey Mouse Club. It's so crazy how many people actually got their start from that specific metal club. (laughs) I mean, even like once the the Mickey Mouse Club ended, there were still like all those Disney shows that came out that produced a lot of new musicians and actors. So true. It's still happening. Yeah, they have an eye for talent. So Justin, of course, knows JC from Mickey Mouse Club, and he recommends him as another member of the group. There's a quote from Christina Aguilera who said about Justin or about the two of them that JC was the cool older guy and Justin wanted to be just like him. Oh, <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Little Justin. <laughs> <laughs> and as a kid, JC was really a shy child, very inward and uh, withdrawn, but he developed an interest in singing to become more confident. And he really had the voice of an angel never forget he has hard eyes right now she's <laughs> totally talking about JC. <laughs> well you know we're, we'll get to it later but i was so in love with him but then as i got older i'm like he's kind of a dork like but after doing all this research i have a, in, a new appreciation for him again so i've come full circle all over again yeah so at age 13, JC wins a national dance competition and was offered a position as a Mouseketeer at age 15. So he joins Justin as the co-lead singer of NSYNC. And according to Wikipedia, he has a four-octave vocal range. Wow, that's He's impressive. got a voice. Mm-hmm. So now we have Chris, Justin, and JC, and they're searching for a fourth member to be their baritone. 
And Chris calls up his buddy, Joey Fatone. I love Joey Fatone. I'm he's sorry. So he's so funny. funny. He's so funny. He was always funny, still is. And he was also working at Universal Studios. So that's how Chris knew him. He calls him up. He was playing Wolfie, the wolf man, <laughs> in Beetlejuice's Rock and Roll Graveyard Review. Oh, my God. Another fun fact, he performed alongside Wayne Brady. Oh, no way. I love Wayne Brady. That's yeah. so funny. All these people just know each other. And it turns out that Joey already knew Justin and JC because he had other friends from high school who were in the Mickey Mouse Club. So it all comes together. It was all kismet. So wild. But now things get really interesting when searching for the fifth member because they really needed a bass singer. So Joey recommends his friend Jason Galasso and Jason accepts. He starts singing and uh, rehearsing with the group. And during one fateful rehearsal, Justin Timberlake's mom commented on how in sync their voices were together. And I feel like this is just like such a 90s move, but they decided to become in sync by using the last letter of each of their names. So Justin, Krista, <laughs> Joey, Krista? Jason, and JC. And you might wonder, where did they get that little star next to their name? You know, it's on their album and everything like that. Where did they, Kate? Where did they? Thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for about to tell me. <laughs> uh, according to Joey, the group went to go watch an illusionist. Uh, well, an illusionist. An illusionist. He's a very famous one. Yuri Geller. And there, he was performing in the UK. And he told the group, I see something. It has to do with suns or stars or something with astronomy in your career. <laughs> Oh, and he God. wrote down, the, <laughs> even as I say that, I'm like, it sounds so ridiculous. But allegedly, true story. He wrote down the name in sync on a napkin and drew a star next to it. And he said, if they place that star on their first CD, they're going to shoot up to number one. Was he a psychic or a magician? <laughs> well, like he's an illusionist. So he's kind of like both. That's what they do. It's like a mentalist. They perform tricks, but they're mind tricks and whatever. I don't know. Hmm not an expert. So after several weeks of rehearsing, they plan to officially sign with Lou Pearlman's transcontinental record label. But in a strange twist of fate, Jason drops out at the very last minute because he decides that wasn't what he wanted in his career. He didn't want to become a, a teen idol pop star. Who doesn't want to become a teen idol no, pop star? Dude. Weird. Okay, Jason. Crazy. wonder what he's up to these days. So the the band still needs, I, I say band, they're not a band, they're a group. The group needs a new bass singer. So Justin calls his vocal coach, who suggests a 16-year-old from Mississippi, which I spelled wrong, named Lance Bass. Bass to do the bass. Perfect. Like I said before, Lance was my second favorite member, and he currently is my number one. But he was born in Mississippi in an extremely devout Southern Baptist family, Super smart kid and at an early age developed an interest in science and, in fact, aspired to work for NASA someday. Wow. Get it, Lance. But like the other members of the group, he started singing at a really young age and sang in the Baptist Church Choir, ended up winning several singing competitions. And by high school, his primary focus was singing and performing. So he was just a junior in high school when he got the call to join and sing and left school and moved to Orlando to rehearse with them full time. And then on October 1st, 1995, NSYNC officially became a group 
with Chris, who was 23, almost 24, JC at 19, Joey at 18, Lance at 16, and Justin at 14. Even, that's like a really big differential I there i wrote my notes like oh poor chris can you imagine like this is your big break obviously he's working he, like they all loved each other they were like brothers but how weird would that be to be like a 24 year old performing and working with a 14 year old that's and especially dudes like <laughs> there's such a big difference in like mental capacity at that age it's crazy <laughs> like think about what guys were like in high school at 14 <laughs> your freshman year like no you're like going out to the bars and stuff and you're like dude did you bring a bottle but like yeah. a baby bottle <laughs> yeah right it's crazy and by the way to keep their in sync name structure they nicknamed lance lanston so they could still have an N at the end of his name. Oh, perfect. I feel like these are all the facts that came in, like, the Tiger Beat <laughs> magazines. So they're, like, crazy facts about NSYNC. You may not know. <laughs> we sure didn't, Tiger Beat. Thank wow. you for telling us. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what are the other ones that they have? Tiger Beat. Tiger Beat. Um, I used to pull posters out of yeah one of them was that no there was a different one other than tiger beat that had like really good posters of the the heartthrob of the moment it was like just ym or some like uh, yeah, uh, yeah 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 hmm. let us know at podcast designpickle.com where did you get your posters from <laughs> <laughs> i had so many posters on my wall oh my gosh so okay so from there lou perlman set the five boys up in a house in orlando they had everything they needed. It was like cool guys pad, and they were working with a fourteen-year-old. <laughs> I can't get over it. It's, it's so weird. So weird. They were working their butts off. They were rehearsing constantly, learning all the dance routines and vocal parts, learning how to be doing these crazy choreography routines while singing, not losing their breath. It was actually like a boot camp. They went to boy band boot camp. And this is the same one that the Backstreet Boys went through and all the other boy bands. They'd all have to go through this intense boot camp. And keep in mind, this is Orlando. And they were doing this in August. So, yeah. Rough. does not sound like fun. But Lou was like a father figure to them at the time. And he loved to spend money on his groups, whatever they needed, whatever they wanted at any time, he would fit the bill. He was just like spending cash and always seemed to have a very friendly, jovial, calm and giving demeanor. Just everyone Mm. just adored Lou Pearlman at the time. And Lou hires Johnny Wright to manage the group who was also managing the Backstreet Boys at the time. So Johnny and Lou send demo tapes to a company called BMG, which is a German media company. And they also performed in front of the executives. They did have some concerns about Lance's dancing abilities, because apparently he was not very good at that. But the group all advocated for him. And eventually, BMG agreed to sign them. So this is all in Europe. They All these boy bands really start big in Europe, it turns out. Hmm. So the boys get sent to Sweden, oddly enough. Hey. Huh. Uh, Shout out to Leo. Yep. <laughs> that, that is my husband. He is from Sweden. <laughs> In case you didn't catch that. So they get sent to Sweden to work on their debut album with the help of famed producers, Dennis with a Z, Pop, Max Martin, and Andreas Carlson. 
And these guys, you may or may not have heard their names, but you have definitely heard the songs that they've written. These guys have written and produced almost every single pop song that you've ever listened to. Like, I Want It That Way, Baby One More Time, I Kissed a Girl, Shake It Off. And those are like older ones, but even like today, they're, they're writing like every song on the radio. And of course, Tearing Up My Heart. Oh, classic. So the album's official lead single, I Want You Back, was released in Germany on October 7th, 1996, and immediately entered the top 10 in Germany. And because of that, they essentially became an overnight success all throughout Europe, topping all the charts, selling it everywhere. And so they, they're like, great, this is awesome. People love us in Europe. Because they, they had a very kind of Europop vibe uh, yeah, or sound to I them, Eurofunk, it. I guess. Uh, so they returned to the U.S. later that year, or actually a couple years later, hoping to you know have the same kind of success in the, in the States. They signed with RCA Records, but things were not going as great in the U.S. because it just didn't translate. The Backstreet Boys were already like kind of big there, and they still had this like European sound. The U.S. wasn't ready for it. But a very pivotal opportunity arose, and this kind of changed everything. So the Backstreet Boys, who, remember, also created and managed by Lou Pearlman, they were scheduled to perform at a concert special on the Disney Channel, but they had to back out at the very last second. And so NSYNC nabbed the spot, they jumped on the opportunity, and everything changed after this. So before the show aired, their album was number 85 on the charts. And three weeks after the concert, it reached number nine. It just completely flipped everything on its head and they became huge in the States. And so after that, they have this massive fan base, including myself and And me (laughs) and Jess, the two of us here. (laughs) I Oh, man. But uh, the nostalgia is too it's real. It's too this real episode. right now. It's the smile <laughs> on my face thinking about all of this. I know. Their stardom rises even more with the single release, Tearing Up My Heart. This became an absolute hit and has been listed as one of the greatest songs of the 90s. Also, in 1998, they released their holiday album, Home for Christmas. <laughs> I la, la, loved this album. I will still play this full album at Christmas time. It's like oh, yeah. my go-to. It's classic. But also like because their voices are so good, their harmonies are really good, it's just a really great album. It really is. Oh. I agree wholeheartedly. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Fantastic song. But this ho- holiday album peaks at number seven and sells over two million copies. And it achieved the rare feat of having two albums on the Billboard Top 10 at the same time. So at this point, they are completely dominating the pop scene alongside Backstreet Boys, of course. And they scored their first top 10 on the Hot 100 with God must have spent a little more time on you. Oh, so uh, do you rem- I, like I remember listening to that song with my disc man and just, you know, thinking they were singing to me. Oh, my gosh. How do they know? I'm so special. Right. I, yeah. Do you remember the little... Um, they were like really small and they had the little clips that went in yes. and it would give you like 15 seconds of the song. What are those called? They're called like clip. I can clip. It. No, not clip. It. I don't know. But 
I think only a certain age of people yes. understand that reference. I 100% had those. Oh my god, yeah. But it, like, it, all mine were insane. It doesn't even all play the full song. It just plays like... <laughs> it plays literally like 15 or 30 seconds. It's awesome. <laughs> you have to take it out and put it back in to get it to replay. Really good for the environment. <laughs> I love it. If you know what those are called, please let us know. Yeah, it's going to like... have one, send oh, us a hold photo. On. I want to look it up right now. <laughs> it's gonna haunt us oh man hit clips hit clips, hit clips. <laughs> yes oh my god i think i only had britney spears and nsync hit clips <laughs> <laughs> i remember when uh, both nsync and britney spears did a partnership with like mcdonald's something or something like that maybe yeah and you'd get like a special cd i had that too i like any opportunity <laughs> i could get to get my hands on whatever they were promoting or anything, which is just kind of the brilliance and magic behind it because they knew exactly what they were doing with tugging at the heartstrings of of preteen teenage girls. (laughs) And in fact, because of that, they were a mainstay on MTV's Total Request Live, TRL. And we'll we'll touch on that a little bit more later. But like that... They basically created TRL or made TRL happen because so many young girls were calling in being like, I want to see and sing. I want to see Backstreet Boys. They also had a song appear on the Disney movie with Tarzan or Tarzan with Phil Collins and collaborated with Gloria Estefan. I remember that. So, oh my gosh, so many collabs. I know. Things are looking pretty good right now, right? You know, they're looking, they're looking great. They're, uh, their illusionist was pretty pretty right about them. Narrator, things were not looking great. <laughs> <laughs> because in 1999, the members of NSYNC enter a very publicized legal battle with the once-beloved Lou Pearlman. Okay, so let's talk about Lou. Lou. Let's talk about Lou. Because oh, Lou. in preparation for this episode, I watched the boy band con, the Lou Pearlman story, and... This is a documentary that was produced by Lance Bass and premiered at South by Southwest in 2019. You haven't watched this, have you? Mm-mm, okay, well, sorry, I'm going to kind of give you some spoilers. But um, so if you don't want to hear that, it's okay. Don't fast forward. But also, everyone should go watch this because it's it's fantastic. It explores the career and legacy of a record producer and convicted criminal Lou Pearlman. Buckle up. It is a wild ride. But like I said, everyone should watch it because, I mean, it's an important story, but it also just features a ton of pop stars like AJ McLean from Backstreet Boys and Ashley Angel from O-Town. It also has interviews from some of their mothers, like Lance's mom's Diane is in it and Justin Timberlake's mom, Lynn, and then also some of Lou's (laughs) childhood friends who really uh, spilled the tea about him, which is... Oh boy. And just like the end, everything is so crazy. It doesn't even seem real. But they just recount all their stories about working with Lou Pearlman and how he went from this doting and loving father figure to basically a sociopathic supervillain. So the it's always like the turn of I don't want to say fate, but like vast difference in personalities that these people end up having. Oh just, yeah. it catches me so off guard. It makes me so mad. It's creepy. It was all creepy and weird. So in the late 1990s and early 2000s, 
Lou Pearlman was essentially the just the King Midas of pop music. Everything he touched turned to gold. And he, because of this, I mean, he was wildly revered and admired by everyone in the, yeah. in the industry. And on top of that, he had a very magnetic personality. He's the kind of guy who would make you feel like you're the only person in the room and would just very giving, would pay for everything. Sounds like a trick number one of a con man. No. Obviously surrounding himself with all these like good looking people, beautiful, chiseled young performers, which is kind of a strange Weird. dichotomy because yep. he's just like this middle aged, weaselly three hundred pound plus guy from Queens. <laughs> <laughs> well when you put it like that <laughs> Uh, uh, but many a lot of people in the documentary talk about his mansion in florida which was basically a theme park it puts uh neverland ranch to shame basically had wave runners movie theaters race tracks and he would host countless boy band parties there so again think about chris kirkpatrick being 24 and then justin 14 hearing about this it reminded me of well two things let's see which one you know better have you ever seen the movie blank check no i don't think so okay what about billy madison though of course okay that reminded (laughs) me of that it's just like you know i love me some sandler like what teenage boy is gonna say no to that it's like everything you want in one place just all the cool stuff and you can just play with all these which toys. makes it even creepier it's, because he knew that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ooh, I don't like it. Yeah. Don't like it at all. Ashley Angel Parker from O-Town compared him to Peter Pan and the Lost Boys because it really seemed like Lou just wanted to be one of the guys. He wanted to be loved and adored by everyone. He just really wanted to be part of the group. Well, maybe try that with people your own age, Lou. Just saying. Mm. That doesn't work for him either, because he wasn't always this uber-rich, lovable character. And one very standout character from the documentary is Lou's childhood friend, Alan Gross, who I just love. And he gives the tea. He gives the tea. He recounts how Lou never really fit in, didn't have any friends, and was bullied a lot, which, like, "Mm, that sucks. But also, you're a crazy person. And... (laughs) The two of them bonded over their love for blimps. <laughs> like a blimp. Like uh, in the air- airships. Like the Goodyear blimp. Yeah. And I mean, like, they really loved blimps. <laughs> like, they, I, I just don't know what's to love about a blimp, but maybe I'm, I'm the crazy one here. The way that they were talking about it, I wish I wrote down the quote, but he was talking about it like... Uh, seeing someone you love for the first time and just like a magical moment of seeing this thing floating through the air. I don't get it. Sorry if you love blimps, but that's a that's an interesting one for me to wrap my head around. <laughs> it's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. So together they create an airship advertising business which is basically leasing out blimps for marketing campaigns and Hmm. i actually thought this was really interesting because this is kind of like a historical moment in marketing no one was doing this before putting branding and marketing stuff on blimps and having them fly around so there's definitely kind of invented that yeah there's some definitely some savviness going on here 
So great, right? Like follow your dreams. They get to work with blimps, which they (laughs) really, really love. And seems like everything was going well until the great Jordash blimp crash, which oh boy, I I'm going to claim as my new band name. So what happened here is uh, Lou Pearlman leased a blimp to Jordash Jeans, the pants company, <laughs> and on Ponce. the Ponce <laughs> company, and on its maiden voyage, the blimp spiraled and crashed into a nearby garbage dump, which like foreshadowing. Huh. I don't know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now Lou Pearlman gets three million dollars in cash from insurance so he parlays the insurance money into another airship company and yet still every one of his blimps eventually crashed after that so he oh boy but still he's he's still conning people or still i mean he's conning people we just won't really recognize until later so he relocates to orlando and signs metlife and SeaWorld as clients for his blimps huge like he's doing some big stuff but like I said, almost every one of his blimps crashed and his company stock once pumped to $6 a share, dropped to $0.03 cents a share and shut down. Oh boy. So I'm not going to get into the details because I don't really understand the ins and outs, but he was already committing insurance fraud and pump and dump schemes, of course. Of course. And in fact, Alan, Alan Gross, our guy, he says at one point, no matter what he did, he never had the ability to be honest. So, interesting. how did he go from a blimp bamboozler to a boy band big shot? <laughs> I love the alliteration. Thank you. <laughs> well, while in the aviation business, he started renting out jets to different rock and pop stars and at one point leased a jet to the new kids on the block. And then he was like, how can these kids afford a jet? What is going on here? And he had a little light bulb over his head and realized that he could make big bucks using a formula, the boy band formula. So let's talk about the boy band formula. Here's, here are the requirements to have a successful boy band. Take note. I'm going to take notes. (laughs) So you must have three or five members, never four, unless someone leaves. Okay. No instruments. They are not playing instruments. Otherwise they're a band. Okay. (laughs) This is my favorite. They have to have club tracks that would have been popular in Europe a few years ago. (laughs) Oh, okay. This is a a more difficult one to nail, I think. Uh (laughs) And they have to implement choreography. And lastly, you have to have five, or I guess three, if you only have three, five distinct personalities in each of the group members. So, for example, the heartthrob, the bad boy, the baby face, the shy Mm. one artsy one stuff like that you have to appeal to the masses there's someone for everyone uh huh this is so true because i'm thinking i'm sure you'll get to this but i'm thinking of one direction and the craze that like we were too old when that craze yeah. started but we saw the same patterns of insync and backstreet boys all over again and, we yeah there would be no one direction if there was no insync or backstreet boys that is a fact so under the name Transcontinental Records, Lou Pearlman would regularly hold these big casting calls. He would choose the talent and just sink millions of investment money into developing and promoting his boy bands. 
So his label's first band, the Backstreet Boys, became the best-selling boy band of all time. Their record sales hit what, 130 million. They hit gold, platinum, and diamond in 45 different countries. And of course, they were also managed by Johnny Wright. So he wanted to recreate Lightning in a Bottle with another band in sync. And to justify this, because people were saying, like, how you're going to have the same thing? Like, I don't get it. What? How does that work? But he compared it to Coke versus Pepsi. Like, there's always going to be someone who wants another option. True. And there were some like key differences between the two groups. Backstreet Boys were a little bit more darker and mysterious, whereas NSYNC, they were more like colorful, bright, more boy next door vibe. And it, like we just said at the top, uh, this would cause preteen girls to have to like pick a side. It's almost like <laughs> having a sports team, but people get really intense about it. Kate, I'm so proud of you for making a sports comparison. This is these were my sports. <laughs> I placed bets on uh, which member would Kate go out on stage like, with a fly down. Eleven year old Kate was going to off track betting, <laughs> betting on sick. Twenty yes, over here. Twenty over like here. Two dollar exact the box on sick. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Thank you. That's exactly how I said it. <laughs> uh, like I mentioned before, Lou Pearlman is really the one who started TRL because all of these teenage girls were demanding that MTV play boy bands. So they developed the show <laughs> and it's literally uh, just girls huddled outside in freezing cold street of New York City just to scream out a window <laughs> and breathe what the I same don't air. Stand about uh, this is a much larger conversation, but fandom to me is one of the most interesting <laughs> phenomenons. And we talked about it a little bit with the Disney episode, mm-hmm. didn't really get into it, but I've never been that type of person because at the end of the day, all these people are just people and it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. But fandom, like seeing girls cry and scream over, you know, like, like what is it for you that's causing you to feel that much excitement over someone that you've never met? I mean, I I could only venture to guess that it's less about just the emotions and more about the hormones (laughs) and everything that are so out of whack at that time. That's true. But who knows? I'm sure there's probably a I great pub grown, grown people. Like, yeah, that I struggle with. thing over celebrities. Like, I just... They're just people. I don't know. Maybe that's a cynical way to look at it. Are you okay? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I've just never understood fandom. Like, that level of fandom. But what about, like, a favorite sports idol? Would you ever... Would you just be like, what's up? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I wouldn't cry. I'd be like, oh, this is cool. What's up? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I probably would have cried. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. And so, I've said it again. I'll say it many times. He, Lou Pearlman, owns both of these groups. So, he is essentially just competing with himself to get even more money It is a major conflict of interest. And on top of that, he was doing some very shady accounting with, you know, cooking the books 
And in the documentary, it talks about how any sync related line items had a code name. So no one at the Backstreet Boys would get upset that Lou was spending money on this other group. And he would go out of his way to pin the groups against each other to really fan the flames. He would tell Backstreet Boys that NSYNC was doing something to piss them off. And then he'd go to NSYNC and tell them things that Backstreet Boys were doing or saying about them. And it worked. They really all like hated each other because of what Lou Pearlman was doing. And they ne- like never even met. It was just all these rumors and they're being told by this guy who they trust and love. So, well, my eyes are rolling really far back in my head right now. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I mean, even before this, these guys are hustling. They are working their butts off. They are rehearsing yeah. constantly. They're doing all these uh, events and press and everything. Like, they are working nonstop. And they're kids. They're young kids. Well, except for maybe Chris, who's, like, 41 <laughs> at this point. Chris is, like, the grandpa. He's like, well, no, I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as payment goes, they were just getting a very, very small per diem. But everything else was quote-unquote free. So, like I said before, Perlman was just giving them everything they wanted, paying for everything, paying for their food, housing, and but all of this is getting like paid by the company, but not directly to them. It's, but to them, it's like they're so... It felt like they were getting paid because they had everything they wanted, but they weren't. Yeah. It's almost like they were too young to know that they were getting completely screwed at the time. And to them, Perlman was just this legend. He was like the father figure. So why wouldn't you trust him? Because he blew blimps up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they knew about that at this point. They they only know that he manages Backstreet Boys. (laughs) He blew blimps up. (laughs) The Jordache blimp crash. (laughs) So finally, Lou Perlman invites NSYNC to a dinner at Lowry's. That was his favorite place to go. And I was rolling back in my head again. Oh, your face with that. That was great. <laughs> you look like you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> and they think that this is the moment. They, they've they worked their asses off. They're selling out everywhere. They think that they are about to make bank. Like, it's all going to pay off right now. So they all sit down. They're all excited. And Lou hands them their checks. And it is $10,000. So now $10,000, I would be happy. I would be very happy to take a $10,000 check right now. But if you actually compare the amount of time and work spent, uh, they were the the check made it so like they weren't even making minimum wage. They're making less than minimum wage. And Lance said it felt like an absolute slap in the face. And in fact, he allegedly ripped up the check because he was so mad about it. And my boy JC, he calls his uncle, who's a lawyer, and his uncle's like, oh, this is real bad. And he said that this is one of the worst record contracts in music history, and you need to get out now. Wow. Wow. Whew. Thank God for JC's lawyer uncle. I know, right? <laughs> I thought that was funny. I called my uncle. Uh <laughs> It turns out that Perlman had made himself the sixth member of the group, and he owned 90% of the business. So everything that these guys were doing, he was raking it all in and giving them less than minimum wage. I despise him. Uh-huh. Justin's mom in the documentary said, I just wanted to kill him. 
for good reason. Yep. Because they, I mean, they all, you know, moved across the country for this, uprooted their lives. They had been working for years, traveling all over Europe. Like this was the moment and they were big. There was a high demand. So they expected like a little bit more than that, at least after all their hard work. So you would think. And with that, let's take a quick break. Hey, Jess, how does a cucumber become a pickle? I don't know, Kate. How does it? It goes through a jarring experience. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, that joke is the worst, but you know what's not the worst? The world's leading flat rate creative services platform, aka Design Pickle. That's right. With a flat monthly fee, unlimited requests, and unlimited revisions, Adobe source files, we could go on and on. Design Pickle is an award-winning graphic design and creative services company. And you know what? Our listeners can get $100 off their first month of any Design Pickle plan by using the promo code WORST, all caps, at checkout. The promo code really should be BEST because that's a sweet deal. True that. That's a better joke. And we're back. So remember, at this point, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys are sworn enemies because Lou Pearlman made them that way. But in 1997, both bands competed in a charity basketball game and in a bizarre twist of fate, ended up hitting up McDonald's together afterwards. (laughs) As you do. I was just going to say, like, creatives often gravitate towards one another. We've seen that time and time again. And it's a shame to me that for so long they were pitted against each other right? because I think they actually could have helped one another. Well, they they did here, but I agree. And they were all like super talented, creative, young guys, like normal dudes. And yep, it, it's it's really sad. But because and they were like the only ones that knew what the other ones were going through, exactly. you know, exactly. Like, how else can you? Well, that no one knows what that's like. That's why he did it. That's why he kept them away from each other because Lou Pearlman knew that if they like were comparing notes, he would get caught basically. So this is the first time that they're ever really able to speak to one another, and uh, it, that happened. They all realized that they had been duped and. Brian Luttrell from the Backstreet Boys said, oh my gosh, Lou's been lying to us this whole entire time. And Yeah, he has. Uh-huh, and they all realized that's why he was keeping the bands apart. And so the Backstreet Boys hires a lawyer to find out why their paychecks were minuscule compared to the millions that Perlman was raking in. And each member was only making $12,000 a year. A year. With all, like, they are number one on the charts, and that's how much money they're making. So they file, the Backstreet Boys file a lawsuit against Perlman. And then in 1999, NSYNC follows suit and enters the very publicized legal battle with him. So they sue Transcontinental Records for defrauding them more than 50% of their earnings. But then Lou Perlman, yeah. being the creep that he is, countersues NSYNC for $150 million claiming that he was the sixth member of the band and he owned the name and all this stuff and tried to prevent them from ever performing or recording under the name in sync again. You know, I really, for a hot second, I thought I was going to be an attorney <laughs> and I would have loved to take Ooh. on Lou Pearlman. You I would have roasted him so hard. <laughs> oh man, I would pay a lot of money to see that, to see Joss go after Lou Pearlman. <laughs> 
just filled with disgust for this man. Uh-huh. So much disgust. Well, fortunately, the female judge ruled in favor of the group. And I love the quote she said to Lou Perlman. You claim you are in sync. You are in sync. My daughter has a poster on her wall of these five boys who are in sync who say that you are not. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes. It's true. Get it, queen. So It is true. Uh, yeah. After reaching a settlement out of court, they in sync signs a twelve million dollar deal with Jive Records, so they win. So, in sync says bye 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 to Lou Pearlman and hello to No Strings Attached, their sophomore album. Sophomore? Ooh. Is that your fancy? <laughs> yes, was my fancy. In sophomore, the punt. sophomore <laughs> album. That they recorded with the beret. No, they didn't. <laughs> this was a very empowering step for the boy band's artistic and financial freedom, of course. And the album featured the very iconic marionette cover, which was shot by world-renowned photographer Mark Seliger, and where the boys are they're all hanging from strings in a puppet theater. And there's a big F you to Lou Pearlman, of course. And when the album first dropped in March of 2000, it sold 2.4 million copies in the first week. It topped the Billboard 200 for eight consecutive weeks and became the best-selling album of 2000. And it became the second best-selling album of the decade in the U.S. just behind the Beatles. That's how big this one was. Damn. Uh And their No Strings Attached tour to promote the album was one of the highest-grossing tours of the year. And this album was different from all the previous ones because it explored a little bit more like funk, hip hop and dance music than not even just like their own albums, but other boy bands prior to them. And was um, Space Space Cowboys on this one? That may have been on Celebrity, but I'm not sure. They're next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yippee, yay. That one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Was not ready for that. Get a girl. <laughs> I can only I can only surprise you with uh, snippets of songs when you're not expecting it. Not when you ask me to. <laughs> yeah, what the heck? Uh, it was on no strings attached. It was okay. Mm-hmm. Dang, I, I I should have known that. It obviously I'm did disappointed have. Disappointed in you. It did. I'm disappointed in myself, honestly. It did have Bye Bye Bye, as we all know, which is another kind of uh, F you to Lou Pearlman. But this song shot into the top five of the Hot 100 and spent five weeks on the Hot 100 airplay chart. It's kind of like, I mean, it is one of their biggest songs today. Still still a staple in all karaoke places. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Since, you know, we all go to those a lot. Um, I sing Space Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Kaye. Just kidding. But NSYNC's third album, Celebrity, was released in summer 2001, and this produced three singles, Pop, Gone, Gone, and Girlfriend. Oh my god. (laughs) Yo, you're gone. I loved all of those. Oh man, this is just, this is such a nice little trip down memory lane right now. (laughs) This album had a lot more creative involvement from the group, especially JC and Justin Timberlake, who wrote and produced several of the tracks. So again, like they finally have more creative freedom. They are really talented they're great music producers and songwriters and they get to do what they love and although this one wasn't as big as no strings attached it still sold almost two million in the first week and it it made it the second fastest selling album in history behind no strings attached so 
to promote this album. They went on a four-month stadium tour. But then, Jess, they went on a hiatus, which was meant to be temporary, but they never did record music or tour together again. So that's kind of where NSYNC ends. Like, they shined so bright and then just kind of faded away, sort of, but not really. It was always so weird to me that that happened. It's just short time span, yeah. And according to Justin, it started as a fun snowball fight that was becoming an avalanche. I was growing out of it. I felt like I cared more about the music than some of the other people in the group. Ooh, it's a little shade. Yeah, shut up, Justin. <laughs> and he said, and I felt like I had other music I wanted to make I, and that I needed to follow my heart. Yeah, okay. Whatever. I'm just like, I look at him in a totally different light now. Me too. Um, Me too. With stuff that's come out, so it's hard. I know how talented he is, and he's arguably the most talented of the group well. uh, with his producing and all that. Yeah, no. He- and all of his success after, but like, shut up, Justin. <laughs> Follow my heart. <laughs> wow. You, I wish people could see your face when you did that. That was like, when you when you go to like... Just annoyed. <laughs> make fun of someone or something, but you don't really have a response. Just <laughs> make a face with it. That's exactly what it was. I had no words for it. <laughs> well, going back, just to make you angrier, going back to Perlman. Uh, <laughs> Because after all of these legal battles with these two huge, huge groups, he continued to make boy bands and girl bands using the same formula. And he created bands like LFO, C-Note, Innocence, which was a, a girl group. And he would tell all of these kids that they were going to become the next Backstreet Boys or the next in sync, and they're going to make it and blah, blah, blah. So he's really caught in this vicious cycle of trying to compete against himself, trying to outdo himself. But he had such a powerful reputation that these young aspiring artists still want to work with him. And Ashley Parker Angel from O-Town, he's in the documentary, and he talks about just how amazed he was to meet Lou Pearlman. It was just unbelievable because he is the guy who is pioneering like pop music, dominates all the radio stations. Uh, he said that he was the Barry Gordy of my generation. And Barry Gordy is the producer for Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. Supremes. I don't think that even makes sense because I don't think that was his generation, but okay. And they knew, these art young artists knew that Lou Pearlman had screwed Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, but still, when someone that powerful is telling you that you have what it takes, I'm going to make you big, you're going to believe him. And he was a very believable guy. He had that charisma. It's so gross. Yeah, he's using his power and influence to manipulate these young artists, which is really gross. While he's looking for his next big breakthrough, really like the boy band bubble had already kind of burst. It was sort of behind the times musically and he struggled to keep up. So he ventures into reality TV to create Making the Band. Do you remember that show? Yep. Yep. (laughs) So this is a reality show that chronicled young men or women, uh, depending on the season, competing for five spots in Lou Pearlman's newest boy or girl band creation. And they would be signed to his his record label, Transcontinental Records. And it was, it's such a creepy parallel to his real life because he allegedly had cameras everywhere in his mansion. Like, ev- everywhere. And to make it even creepier, he had the control room to all the cameras in his bedroom. <sighs> I, I mean, everything you've mentioned about Luke Perlman has given me a visceral reaction, but... 
what what <laughs> what how did this guy what? get away with what he's doing for so long but things really continue to crumble for him because i mean he had been relying on the fame and success of backstreet boys and nsync to lure in talent and investors but he didn't actually have any money he was just borrowing money and pumping it into these bands but like didn't actually own any of it and in 2002 he acquires a talent scouting company called options talent this of course is under the transcontinental name which, by the way, like, tra- I remember seeing that as a kid, like, Transcontinental Records, and everything he does is under Transcontinental. It's such a, like, obviously fake name. <laughs> what does that even mean? Here we go on names again, <laughs> but <laughs> it is. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, that doesn't... I No. It's like conglomerate. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, shell company exactly. all over it. But this talent scouting company is one of those scams where it's like, come in, get your headshots and blah, blah, blah. We're going to make you famous. And it brought in a ton of consumer complaints because it was a scam. People were getting screwed. And that of course it was. resulted in an investigation by the assistant attorney general, Dowd. But alas... While he starts to get investigated, a new attorney general was appointed who just so happened to be a beneficiary of the transcontinental conglomerate. And so Lou Pearlman basically bought himself out of an investigation. But I just (laughs) this was not the only scam he was running, Jess. Turns out in 2006, investigators discovered that Pearlman had been carrying out the longest running Ponzi scheme in American history. What an achievement. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was defrauding investors out of more than $1 billion. So for over 20 years, he was basically enticing individuals and banks to invest in all these different transcontinental companies and using the success of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys to kind of like legitimize himself as this like mogul and brilliant producer, leveraging these bands to grow his Ponzi scheme as like a validation of like, see, I am a successful businessman. But in reality, he was just a complete utter fraud and criminal. You know, I really con people, con men or women, because there are both. They really fascinate me Mm -hmm. because I think there are multiple types of them. But with Lou, it's like you were really unpopular as a kid. You got bullied. Did that fuel like the desire to just have all this money and like say to everyone that bullied you, look at me now. You guys could never. Yes. In the documentary, my friend Alan Gross, he says at one point that Lou said like, everyone will love me when I'm rich. So that was, Mm. seems like it certainly was a motivator. He wanted to be loved. He wanted to, you know, whatever. And it's interesting because in the documentary, there are still a few people who, kind of defend him it's it's weird you can tell like a lot of people are still struggling with that relationship because in one sense he was helping a lot of people not a lot of people he was helping these band members and he was seemed very loving to them but he was a criminal i mean he was (laughs) a crook he was masterminding this whole thing Uh and it's just i don't know we we might have to do a mini episode on 
like famous cons in the creative industry or something. But I just, I've never been able to wrap my head around it. I find it so fascinating Mm -hmm. that these people, and then they get to a point where they think that they're untouchable. Yes. Oh, once he had the attorney general in his pocket. So he's like, Oh, let me just keep scamming people and I'm living large. It's fine. You nailed it. He really thought he was untouchable. And it, what really made me sad too is uh, it made me really sad for the groups and the artists thinking because these are creatives and can you imagine just how you would feel as a creative you you're ma- you're putting your life and soul into the art that you make and then you find out that all of your success was like a lie or that uh yeah. it, there's a quote from lance saying that he used us to scam other people it would just i don't know putting myself in that mindset of oh my gosh i've been doing what i love and it's to fraud people am I even talented? Like all these thoughts must go through your brain of just, was it all real? Was it all fake? Am I even good enough? Um, That's such a good point. Yeah, it's really awful. So at this point, Perlman is totally spiraling out of control. He's borrowing money from banks all over the world, sending bad checks, really looking for an exit strategy. But eventually the FBI conducts a search warrant in his Orlando offices. And guess what they found, Jess? Um, the remains of the very first blimp that came on fire. <laughs> Basically, no? no, they found nothing, nothing. Everything was gone. It was like <sighs> everything had been cleared out and someone left quickly. So it's like he maybe got tipped off or something that they were coming, just cleared out the entire office and he just literally disappeared. He disappeared. Bye, Lou. And he hid the money, so at least $95 million was just gone. Poof, gone. So now there's like a massive manhunt out for this guy. There were rumors that he was in Germany trying to start another group, but really, it turns out he had fled to Indonesia. And so finally, yeah, they find him and arrest him at a very upscale hotel in Bali. This guy, of course, he's in Bali. With his, like, suitcases of uh, <laughs> Like a tropical sh- Hawaiian shirt on. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, so in, in 2008, he pleads guilty and is charged with conspiracy, money laundering, and false bankruptcy proceedings. Another, well, not so fun fact, but his attorney, uh, Cheney Mason, also represented Casey Anthony alongside Jose Baez Ugh. during her trial. So that just kind of shows what kind of nice. people we're working with here. Not a fan. Okay, so he sentences 25 years in prison at the Federal Correctional Institute in Miami, Florida. But just in 2016, he passed away from cardiac arrest while still in custody. So as we can imagine, his death was met with a lot of mixed emotions from the people he worked with because... Like I said before, on one hand, he was this guy who made these groups successful, treated them like family in the beginning, was very friendly and charismatic at first. But on the other hand, he is this scheming and manipulative crook. And in fact, uh, I didn't even get to this, but in the documentary, it's really creepy when they talk about it, how he was this way to them in the beginning. And then once they got their $10,000 check and realized they were being screwed like in an instant, Lou Pearlman completely changed. It was like a different look on his face and he was like scary and mean. And they were like, what? 
you were like our our uncle. Like, what is happening? It just flipped a switch. And he just turned it off and was this, he was the crook that he is to them. Ugh. It's so, it gives me goosebumps to think about, mm-hmm. especially like to your point earlier about being a young creative and all you want to do is have your creativity be seen by the world and you believe people because yeah. why wouldn't you at that point? And he just played right into that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's so gross. Yeah. So after his death, Chris Kirkpatrick tweets, mixed emotions right now, but RIP Lou Pearlman. Justin Timberlake tweets, I hope he found some peace. God bless an RIP. And in an interview, Lance expressed how confused he was on how to feel because he he almost felt like mad that he died without getting any closure, without getting an apology from this guy, but also grateful that it led to his career and doing what he loved. So there's a quote from him saying, you feel happy that no one else is going to be affected by him. And then you feel guilty because you feel that way. You loved him. You hated him. There are so many things that come out with Lou Pearlman. It is That's a very good summary. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. So back to NSYNC, though. So just because they took a, a never ending hiatus back in 2002 doesn't mean that they didn't stop working. And as we know, some of them became very big solo stars. So let's let's just do a little rapid fire. Where are they now? Starting with Chris Kirkpatrick, who was the OG of the group, the grandpa of the group, if you will. <laughs> so while he's eighty five, you know, <laughs> he might be cryogenically frozen. We don't know. But sorry, Chris. <laughs> no, we love you, Chris. While with NSYNC, he had a very short-lived clothing line. I don't know if you remember this, but it was called Fu Mansquito. This was like oh, I do remember it. <laughs> the urban skater fashion, including the very infamous goggles, which I owned. I will admit this on of the podcast. I'm saying it to the world. I owned those terrible goggles that look like ski masks, but were supposed to be sunglasses. It makes no sense. Ugh. I'm not surprised. My poor parents, man. Um, Can we post a photo of that on Instagram? I'm going to have to... I need to do some digging. (laughs) But after the group split up, he went on to do some minor acting roles and voiceover work for just some, like, cartoons and video games. Today, just a normal dude. He is married, has a son. And I just found out that this summer, he's co-hosting a a tour called The Pop 2000 Tour alongside Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray. And this features oh my God. featuring Ryan Cabrera, O Town, and LFO. So I think we should go. Oh, fun! <laughs> I think we have to. Let's get tickets. All right, perfect. <laughs> Next in in order of original Insync members, we have Justin Timberlake, who, as we all know, has a huge solo career now. But when it all started, kicked off when the group went on hiatus. He partnered with uh, Pharrell Williams to work on new music. And at the uh, ripe age of 21, Justin decided to launch his solo career. So his debut album, Justified, that created a bunch of top five singles like Like I Love You, Cry Me a River, Rock Your Body. Obviously, much of the album was inspired by his breakup with Britney Spears, which we didn't even get to today, but meh. We probably will have to do a oh, separate episode on him. Oh at yeah, some point. for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is it was hard to condense this all down because he has a lot going on in his life and his career. But in the same year, he was the first celebrity to appear on Ashton Kutcher's Punked, where I don't know if you've seen this or not, but he gets pranked and he totally breaks down into tears and has a very emotional reaction to it. But he later admits that he was super stoned when he was getting pranked. <laughs> 
So he actually goes in depth on that whole experience with Dax Shepard oh, because Dax Shepard used to host Punk. Uh-huh. Everyone should listen to that episode because it's really interesting. And if you feel a certain way about Justin Timberlake, I'd be very curious to hear what people think after they listen hmm. to that episode. Um, but yeah, he talks about how high he was and how he kind of was like turned off to weed after that experience. That would be terrifying because wasn't it like his car was stolen or something like that? Or it was like everything was gone from his house, <sighs> including his dogs. I think. Oh, that would make me yeah. cry too. So in 2004, he performs at the Super Bowl with Janet Jackson, resulting mm-hmm. in the notorious wardrobe malfunction seen mm-hmm. around the world. And I think this is one of the reasons that Jess is very upset with Justin Timberlake. I think Jess, <laughs> I mean myself as well. But that was a, they all like pinned that on Janet and he was just like, I'm just going to moonwalk out of this. No, no. <laughs> come on, man. Come on, man. Just get it together. His second solo album release was the Prince-influenced Future Sex Love Sounds. He he was very inspired by Prince, by the way. Weren't we all, Kate? Weren't we all? I know, I know. Uh, this album included Sexy Back, another another classic. And he really just, you know, he had established himself as a very versatile performer. So he enters Hollywood as an actor, appearing in over 20 films, including Alpha Dog, The Social Network, and Trolls, both one and two. <laughs> he also... <laughs> I hate those movies. <laughs> uh, he also... Ho- I, me too. <laughs> We're going to just yep. keep moving. He hosted and performed at Saturday Night Live five times. He's been a, a staple yeah, at Saturday Night Live. Of course, gifting us with the magic of in a box. <laughs> Today, he's married to Jessica Biel. They have two children together. And he obviously has been like the biggest solo uh, artist out of any of the the boy bands coming from this era. And he's been referred to as the president of pop and the prince of pop by a ton of contemporary artists and, and critics. And most importantly, Sia Michelle of the New York Times noted that he was responsible for popularizing the catchphrase "I'm bringing back." <laughs> Definitely his what biggest contribution. He, yeah, I mean, he's like I said earlier. His producing, his songwriting, his... It's just... Mm -hmm. It's insane. Love him or hate him. He's an excellent... Yeah, he's an excellent performer. He's very professional. And yeah, his producing skills are top-notch. Yeah. So, whatever. whatever. Over it. (sighs) Moving on to JC, who I've just had a roller coaster of emotions reading about JC. So, following the instant hiatus, he pursued work as a songwriter and producer. And he did not... In, in the beginning, he did not intend to embark on a solo career, but he was convinced to do so because he was very talented. And he released his debut album, Schizophrenic, in 2004. I hate the name so much. And I, like, <laughs> I don't know. The cover's really, like, cheesy, too. It looks straight out. I mean, it was in 2004. It looks like it's from yeah. 2004. But you know what's so sad about this? Uh, this album never made it big because of the whole Super Bowl halftime show controversy. Damn it, Justin. Justin inadvertently, yeah, he screwed JC over. Uh, I wrote that. Thanks, Justin. (laughs) Because he had the chops and I didn't even, like, I don't think I even got, I didn't have the CD when it came out. I was kind of over it at this time. But 
people were said that he had his voice was a miracle. And in another New York Times article, there's uh, a quote that said, Mr. Chazay is most retro in his rock. Like a promising apprentice, he directly mimicked Robert Plant and Prince, uh, singing Prince's Let's Go Crazy, and whipped up a fervor to rival early Sting in his police imitation, Everything You Want. And other critics have noted that this album is way ahead of its time. So all of this really surprised me because I was really ready to make fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Especially with the name, but uh huh, and then and a lot of the songs have really just overtly sexual lyrics. It seemed really over the top, like he was trying too hard to kind of shed his boy band image. But it, his voice is incredible, and I didn't realize that just like the musical composition of everything is actually yeah. really good. And it's been regarded that the lack of support from Jive and just the bad timing prevented it from gaining wider appreciation. That sucks for JC. Yeah. Another couple quotes just to really drive it home. But from an article on Shondaland.com, someone said, Schizophrenic showed the sort of promise rarely seen from post-pop stardom musicians. From the smart wordplay of Some Girls Dance with Women to the progressive, percussion-heavy production of Blowing Me Up With Her Love, Schizophrenic was an original album from an artist's artist. And even Justin Timberlake said, In my opinion, he had the best voice out of all of us, out of all the boy bands. Call him what you will. He had the best one that could outsing all of us. And I've known him since he was 12. Dang. So he really had the chops. And it's kind of crazy that um, he probably could have made it big but justin had that genesis charisma he he kind of he kind of blew it he definitely had the charisma jc was a lot shyer and more withdrawn so maybe that like contributed to to it as well but he had the skills he also just continued working as a songwriter and producer and was a judge on mtv's america's best dance crew i loved that show in college Moving on to Joey Fatone, our boy, uh, yeah. our uh, comedian of the group. <laughs> I hope you bring up what I think you're going to bring up about him. I, I don't know. Uh, let's find out. So he went back to his acting roots. He co-starred as Cousin Angelo in that, My Big Fat Greek yep. Wedding. Is that what you're referencing? Oh, yes. He's, I thought he was great. I love that movie. It's such a great film. And, and he's yep. perfect in it. He's the funny cousin. He also performed in Broadway in shows like Rent and Little Shop of Horrors. He was placed number two, or number two, he placed <laughs> second in season four, uh, Dancing with yes, the Stars. I forgot about that. He's, he's just made a ton of like TV and movie cameos. And in he was in season one of The Masked Singer. Spoiler alert. Oh, Joey. <laughs> that show is really fun, by the way. I know you, I don't think you've watched I it, have. but it's like a fun. It's for kids, but we're all big kids. Uh, so he, uh, Joey, he married his high school sweetheart. They've been married since 2004. They have two daughters. Cute. And even cuter, Lance is the godfather of their daughters. I feel like Lance is everyone's godfather. No, I want him to be my godfather. Same. Speaking of Lance Bass, he pursued other ventures and worked in the entertainment industry as an actor, dancer, as well as producer. He also became an author when he published his autobiography, Out of Sync. (laughs) So great. But in this book, he talks about the disappointment he had with Justin for leaving and sync for his solo career. He was the most outspoken one about that. They're all cool now, I guess, but he was pretty bummed. And he also disclosed his struggle to keep his sexuality hidden during the height of NSYNC. 
because as you know, Jess, he came out as gay in a cover story for People magazine in 2006. And this received a ton of media attention because, you know, he was this huge star from NSYNC and no one knew and like, what? So crazy. But he just, he got a ton of positive support from fans all over the world. Yeah. He also competed on Dancing with the Stars and got third place in season seven. It's like a natural path for former pop stars. (laughs) (laughs) And today, Lance and his husband, Michael Turchin, uh, they're working on building a family together. They really want to have kids. And I just found out he has a new show coming out next month called Unicorn Hunters. Have you heard of this? No, I know he's really involved in TV stuff. Like he hosts a lot of things and will appear in talk shows and stuff. But I have no idea what that is. I feel like we have to hit them up because this is a, could be a cool partnership opportunity with Design Pickle. But they spot they're spotlighting like emerging companies who are striving to hit unicorn level valuation. So Say it's, no more. it's getting like new yep <laughs> new entrepreneurs off the ground. Love it. So to wrap it all up, I'm sure we're going to see more from these gentlemen in the near future. But it is truly truly remarkable how much of an impact they have made in such a short time during their their tenure as actual NSYNC members, which is like four years, if that, maybe a little bit more. But a a Billboard article stated, despite having one of the most short-lived boy band careers, NSYNC was arguably the most famous. And even though they broke up in 2002, they still have a massive hold on pop culture and music. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. On top of that, just the variety of like all their different backgrounds, they kind of it led to this more genre bending sound with R&B, soul, some country. And it's just, it's a shame that their talent and artistry was kind of overshadowed by this criminal parading as a music mogul. But I think that they, they really came out on top and they were able to make it their own. So I'm a little biased, obviously, but I'll leave it to you, Jess. (laughs) Is NSYNC the worst? No, um, I think they are cultural icons and will continue to be. And I think that if Gen Z hasn't canceled them yet, then they should go listen to all of their albums. But Lou Pearlman certainly is the worst, was the worst, and can easy. I have strong feelings about him, but I I feel bad for what happened to them. And I think I'm glad that they kind of got redemption at the end and were able to be their more creative selves. Uh, Agreed. Lou Pearlman is the worst, uh, was the worst. Sorry, RIP. But it kind of reminded me of uh, our Brian Wilson episode, which I guess, spoiler alert here, but Mike Love ended up being the worst in that scenario. Uh, We, yeah, Lou Pearlman's the worst. NSYNC, do your thing. Thank you for all of the wonderful memories and emotions you you drew out of us as, as kids and still bring out with us today. This is... This is fun to cover with you, Jess. Shout out to Hit Clips for being the dumbest yes. toy of all time. <laughs> 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 oh, this is I so want to do a deep fun, dive in that. Right? This is awesome, Kate. I think we needed like a a little nostalgic episode and, and the fact that we're both mm-hmm. in sync fans, like I said at the top. I mean, imagine what this episode would have been like had I been a Backstreet Boys fan and you been an NSYNC Ooh. fan. Would have gotten real ugly. Gotten ugly. But no, I, this is a pleasure to cover and I think that <laughs> now I'm going to go binge all of their albums and just listen to them the rest of the weekend. Yes. 
Me too. Me too. I mean, I've already been doing that, so I'm just going to continue. Yeah, I'm sure you uh, have. <laughs> Great. Well, let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. If you were team InSync or team BSB, let us know at podcastdesignpickle.com or just hit us up on social media at creatives are the worst or at worst creatives on Twitter. We want to hear all of our lady leaders out there telling like, you know, we're all strong, powerful women now, but whoo. Our knees went weak at some point when we were 11. They sure did. And I want to hear about it. Tell us your stories. Tell us who your favorite uh, boy band was Mm -hmm. or member of a boy band was. Ooh, yeah. Who's your favorite member? What merch did you have? Send us photos. (laughs) Well, Katie. I'm going to dig and find some photos. We'll share that on the socials. We shall. This is awesome. Until next week when we uncover someone that's hopefully not as bad as Lil Perlman. Maybe they will be. Who knows? We'll see. TBD. All right. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. If you like what you're hearing or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com and a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? <laughs>